Welcome to the Skylight Books podcast. My name is Elodie and I'm thrilled to have Rosecrans Baldwin here with us today to discuss his book, Everything Now, Lessons from the City State of Los Angeles, winner of the California Book Award. Rosecrans's other books include The Last Kid Left and Paris, I Love You, But You're Bringing Me Down. His debut novel, You Lost Me There, was a New York Times book review editor's choice. Several of his articles have been selected for the Best American Essays and Best American Travel Writing Collections, and he was a finalist for a James Beard Foundation Journalism Award. A McDowell Fellow, Rosecrans has taught nonfiction writing at Duke University and fiction writing at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He lives in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for being here, Rosecrans. I would love to start with a reading from the book, and then we can talk some more. Elodie, I am very, very happy to be here. Uh, yeah, so the section that we were talking about, so this is from Everything Now, which is this book. Um, I spent a couple of years sort of crisscrossing Los Angeles trying to figure out what it means and what it looks like for tons of different people to live in Los Angeles right now and how that might be distinct from living in another place in the United States. And so this little section will take a minute. Uh, this was about a young guy that I met. Um, all my, the connection that I had with him, the person who set me up said, you gotta meet this guy, Dan Johnson, because he wrote his own textbook to teach literacy in Skid Row. And I said, that sounds really punk rock, great. So here it goes. History in Los Angeles is not chronological, Dan Johnson said flatly, approximately one minute into our first conversation. Originally from Virginia, a son of the US Navy, for most of the last decade, Johnson had lived in Skid Rokio, the quarter between Skid Row and Little Tokyo, as a man of multiple occupations, reviewing restaurants, scouting film locations, producing radio segments for the Dodgers, He'd also worked with homeless men at the Midnight Mission for several years, helping to improve their reading skills using the Skid Row Reader, a textbook he put together himself. We met one summer afternoon near the Bong Souk. I mean, it wasn't called that, but it should be. East of the historic quarter downtown where every window display was full of glass pipes. Johnson had the look of an outlaw from a spaghetti Western, droopy mustache, sad eyes, intended to speak in paragraphs lacking much in the way of stopping points. History in Los Angeles is not chronological, he repeated, staring across the street. And to understand Los Angeles, you need to grasp that its history is simultaneous, a pastiche full of waves of innovation and backsliding with people working through their own independent narratives in a chaotic fashion, where all of us live under the shadow of all these different stories, plus a giant body of sadness that will never be accounted for, that memory will not recollect, a sadness that the historical record will not show when it comes time to account for this city of conquest, imprisonment, and ambition, where people have been quietly destroying themselves and each other since the 1700s. He took a deep breath. And yeah, maybe that can be said of other American cities, but here it's cut with the idea, I can go to Los Angeles and become a star, where a man or a woman can show up, and go look at the big houses in the Palisades, the big Victorians in Echo Park, and said man or said woman can realistically think, I'm going to make it. But imagine you start out and arrive here thinking, I'm going to make it. And then 30 years later, you don't. Maybe instead of the mansion, instead of the tower with the swimming pool on the roof, you wind up in low-income housing or worse. <gasps> Another breath. 
Because that's the shit that destroys the egos of people here more than anything else, newcomers and natives. And frankly, it's a condition all but omnipresent that few people speak about. The disparity of what you want when you arrive in Los Angeles, the things you assume you'll get along the way, and then the reality of the situation when it doesn't work out. History in Los Angeles isn't chronological, he said again, still staring across the street. It's coinciding, ever-present, and constantly fucking people up. Around Skid Row, some blocks look more doomsday than others. The vicinity of the midnight mission is often where things seem worse. A woman in a bra and underwear slumped over a chair. An angry man walking around with his genitals exposed. But also to be seen were many people assisting others, residents helping one another move belongings, or people sharing food in the sunlight. Nearby were shelters, clinics, employment agencies, a long line waited for two guys giving free haircuts under a pop-up tent. Later, asked if he ever got used to it, Johnson shook, excuse me, Johnson shook his head, both yes and no. I might be numb at this point, he said. I've spent so much time aggressively loving and advocating for Los Angeles and also bitterly hating it, really, really hating it. The Midnight Mission, operating since 1914, was one of Skid Row's oldest social service organizations. Johnson's class took place in a brightly lit room full of computers. His homemade textbook included some two dozen short readings that he used to start discussion. In his opinion, adult education worked best when it encouraged people to ramble meaningfully. I tell people it's a digressive text. It's a digressive class, he said. We spent 20 minutes the other day just talking shit on Drake. That day, five men showed up, white, black, Latino, ranging in age from teenage to senior. Johnson asked everyone to turn to an excerpt from John Fonte's Ask the Dust. Now, honestly, it felt like a setup. The day I was visiting, he picked the L.A. novel. But Johnson insisted that the choice belonged to Ben, an older white guy with a thick beard and a crisp Lakers t-shirt. Published in 1939, Ask the Dust came out the same year as two other local classics, The Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West and Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. The main character in Dust, Arturo Bandini, was a wannabe writer with a stomach rotting from eating too many oranges, oranges being the source of LA's booming at the time, who wandered downtown thinking of all the ways he'd been wronged. The men in the class took turns reading aloud. Johnson would interrupt to discuss tricky words or ask questions. An older gentleman, Arthur, read slowly. And I remembered what Helen wore that day, a white dress, and how it made me sing at the loins when I touched it. Arthur, what are you, the loins? Johnson asked. Your clothes, Arthur offered. Your sneakers, said someone else. No, no, your goods, man, Johnson said. The package. If you're singing in the loins, if you see a nice looking chick, what could it mean, Arthur? Arthur laughed. He's getting turned on. The men giggled together bashfully. Arthur said under his breath, this guy's singing in the loins constantly. Later, during a discussion about brothels, one of the men likened the days of red light districts to today's Skid Row, where vice was tolerated as long as it didn't creep out into, say, Bel Air. It's like when the cops drive around and you've got folks smoking crack, selling heroin, and the cops drive by and don't do shit about it, the man said. They know where they're at and they know what they're doing. After class, Ben, the man who, the man who picked out the day's reading, told me he'd been in and out of the mission for several years. He liked Ask the Dust because Bandini was whacked out, not on opioids, but visions, dreams of things that should have happened for him. 
so many of the guys coming in here, they've been gone so long, they're seeing stuff that's not there, he said. They'll be talking, saying stuff they're seeing, and we don't see what they're seeing. There's a lot of great storytellers on the smoke deck, you better believe. Ben picked up the textbook and tapped the pages. Bandini is making stuff up to keep himself going. That's why this is my favorite story. I can identify with it. He knows he's losing it. He's going downhill, but he's trying to stay alive. That could be me. Thank you so much, Rose Kranz. Um, I wanted to start there because I remember reading it and arriving at this section and feeling, if not, relief is not the right word, but a sense of like, oh, this is what it is. Like the whole part about history and Los Angeles not being chronological and this sense of, and what I sort of arrived at in reading your book is this idea that in many ways, LA is a, a litmus test for what's going on in the United States, or it's sort of this epitome of what it means to to thrive and struggle and try to survive in the United States. Um, and yeah, and I think the the fact that that idea is paired within this group of, you know, people in Skid Row who are trying to survive is, is a very interesting and powerful idea. Um, so yeah, I'm super curious about how it, it all started for you. Why did you want to write a book about Los Angeles? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, first of all, to your points, because it's something that I really do feel emotionally and feel also like I observe every day. Uh, Los Angeles has everything on view, right? There is nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You can be a rich person in your tinted out Range Rover and have blinders on. But if you're open to seeing it and if you're willing to see it, all to me, in my opinion, all aspects of the great American experiment, the beautiful ones, but also the ugly ones in terms of pain and suffering and inequality, um, it's right there on the street, Los Angeles, 365, 24-7. And if, as a person who is frankly, you know, open-hearted and empathetic, but also deeply curious about what people's lives are like, Los Angeles, it can be a really hard place to live, but it can also be extremely fascinating. It also can be a wonderful, wonderful place to live. I All, all those reasons explain why I don't intend to move anywhere else anytime soon. Um, so where the book came from was I moved here with my wife um, about eight years ago now, and I had two conflicting responses almost from the jump, which was, I was so confused. I didn't understand how the neighborhoods overlapped or when one ended and one didn't. And yet you could drive for an hour and a half and you were still in Los Angeles. I didn't get the fact that as you're going down Vermont, if you're here, here we go, go from a skylight books on Vermont in Los Feliz and roll straight down to Long Beach. It is just Instagram forever, you know? Like there's no end to the scroll until you run into the bay. Um, at the same time, as I was sort of starting to explore, starting to read, starting to watch, starting to listen, just trying to get my hands a little bit in touch with what the heck am I, what the heck is this place? Um, I felt so deeply at home here, man. I didn't, and I'd never felt at home anywhere. I moved around a lot as a kid. I've lived around I've lived in different countries. I've lived in different big cities in the States. I've lived in the country, in the sticks. I've lived in rural places. And coming here, 
I had like what my mom's second cousin lived here and I had like two or three friends and within weeks I was like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> like the place I was meant to be, or I come from, or I don't know what. And so those two conflicting things, the confusion, the desire to learn the interest in sort of exploring and at the same time feeling oddly comfortable and called um, none of that led to me necessarily writing a book. It led to me being deeply interested in Los Angeles. And so just gradually where the book came from was, I think, probably just out of a desire to sort of understand this place better and not from my own. It was not the book's not a memoir. It's not like about it's not a diary. It was just like to get to know Los Angeles, you have to get to know a lot of people. And so gradually person upon person just kept started trusting me with their stories. And then the book started to cohere. And it's interesting, too, to read in the book that you have an ancestor, right? Um, Rosecrans Avenue is oh. named after your, who is it exactly? It's, it's a, it is a direct ancestor. If my dad was on the pod right now, he'd be able to tell you. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's where my name comes from. Um, my crazy name, it used to be a last name in our family. And that goes back to a guy named William Rosecrans, who was a general for the Union Army during the Civil War. And then after the war, came out to California and uh, was a state representative in California. Uh, and so there's a street in Los Angeles named after him. What I love about that, uh, I mean, you know, it's not like I have much connection to some dead guy from a long time ago, but um out here, if someone's like, hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? And I say Rosecrans. It's not crazy. Like they've listened to the radio report at 530 p.m. and been like, and now on Rosecrans, you know, severe traffic backup, you know, take exit, you know, blah, blah, blah on the 101. Whereas on the East Coast, where I'm from, people hear my name and it's just like, what on earth are you talking about? And what do you think? Of, and you mentioned when you came here, it felt like L.A., was one of the first times you felt a sense of home. What do you think about LA gave you that feeling? That's a good question. Um, one, there's certainly in my experience of Los Angeles, a certain openness to outsiders. Um, and as a person, listen, I'm a white dude who wears chinos. Like I can fit in, I can walk into a lot of places pretty comfortably and there's a lot of privilege that goes along with that. But truthfully, I've always sort of felt a little bit outsider-ish and in Los Angeles, there's a lot of room for that. And there's a certain amount of tolerance and that can be said of a lot of big cities, right? We have a lot of people of all kinds of places living sort of on top of each other. There's one of the people I interview in the book is this wonderful poet named DJ Waldy. And he talks about, and he doesn't ascribe too much to it, but he talks about, and he talks about this in his book, Homeland, but he talks about how Los Angeles is blessed with good weather. We're able to be outside a lot. We see our neighbors perhaps a bit more than if you live under blizzard conditions all the time. And maybe it comes from people living, um, especially when the people live in neighborhoods that aren't you know, Northern Santa Monica, which is one of the most segregated neighborhoods in the United States. But when people are around people that perhaps have a different point of view or a different background and they're running into each other, maybe there, hopefully there is a sense of, a greater sense of tolerance and get alongness and, hey, let's chip in a little bit, you know, uh, and towards feeling comfortable around each other. 
Um, so that's perhaps part of it. Perhaps also one of the things I love about Los Angeles is that it is both beautiful and scuzzy, that it is high and low, that it is concrete and Griffith Park. It is, um, there's so much contrast on view all the time that um, that's just aesthetically what I gravitate towards, you know, it's why I love Miami and I hate Boston. It's why I find New York sometimes to be a shopping mall, but like I go to New Orleans and I could stay for weeks, you know, like it's just, um, it's a personal temperament. Um, and then finally, it's the diversity of the people. No question. Los Angeles has the world and the world has wound up here. Um, and if I, if you put yourself out there, Los Angeles doesn't really work if you don't try to make it work, right? Los Angeles doesn't care that you are in this town, but I found in my experience, and I've heard this from other people and a lot of people I interviewed for the book, when you start to put yourself out there, however small the reach is, you're bound to get something back. Um, and I love that. Yes, that feels so true. I think it's a city that you have to work for. You really, really, it's not going to be immediately visible to you because like you put so aptly in the book, there are all of these layers. And at the same time, it's like, this chaotic swirl that you're always in the middle of um, one of the metaphors you use as a cloud. Um, and what I also appreciated about the book is that you do give us so many metaphors, which I don't think are just, you know, writerly tricks. I think we actually need them to understand what's going on. And of course, one of them is the city state, which is in the title. And yeah, how did you arrive at that concept? Because it immediately feels so grounding. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious about that process and if there was like an aha moment for you. There was a little bit of one where, and I mentioned this in the book, um, where I talk about how I read an article, I think it was in The Economist or in the um, another paper that was talking about how city states were kind of having a comeback. And for listeners to the pod who may be unfamiliar with the term, a city state is simply one of the oldest ways that humans have, have organized themselves uh, ever since sort of civilization became a thing. Uh, the idea being before the world, the globe was mapped into countries, you had empires and dynasties, um, but city-states were just often, you know, basically a small city or a large city where people from varying walks of life, probably speaking different languages or practicing different religions had common mutual economic interests, trade, um, you know, power dynamics, politics, and would work together and live together in some degree of harmony, often alongside mutual resources or mutually shared resources, often a large body of water or a river. In any case, it goes back, you can see it in African kingdoms, you can see it in Southeast Asia, you can see it in the city-states of, you know, Italy, um, Greece, etc. In any case, um, this article was making a pretty persuasive case that city-states might be an appealing model going forward, that especially in terms of uh, groups of people responding to big crises, you know, like the climate crisis, um, that national governments are pretty slow battleships and it takes them a long time to turn, especially with American ones. And cities are often better at grappling with, you know, sort of more rapid legislation. Anyway, um, as I looked around Los Angeles and I was doing all these interviews and meeting all these people and going on these adventures, it just clicked for me 
that Los Angeles was so much more than just another big American city, that our populations were so global, that our connections were so much more than just regional, that our compass pointed west and not east. You know, you talk to people in New York and they love to compare Los Angeles to New York or vice versa. And you talk to people in Los Angeles and frankly, New York hasn't really been in their thoughts for a long time. It's like, it's Los Angeles is, you know, little Iran, it's little China, it's little Japan. It is the African-American migration from the South and also migrations that have come here from Russia and, you know, I don't know, Armenia. Like, it's just, it's it's extraordinary what the population of Los Angeles suggests of what the content of our character is. On top of that, our economy is huge. And we it, I can go on and on and on. I literally spent a book doing it, so I don't mean to belabor the point. It's just that for whatever reason, when I was grasping for a metaphor to help me make a little bit of sense of Los Angeles, then other than just to say Los Angeles is Los Angeles and that's the animal, uh, thinking of it as a modern day city state, as a 21st century city state um, was just an exciting way to just sort of frame the city. So I could start to like, and that's where the book goes, I guess, be like, well, if so, who's got the power and who's got the keys to the gate and who are the jesters and where's the money coming from and who's stealing it? You know, all those kinds of fun questions once you have a model to interrogate um, just sort of drove me into a lot of interesting places. Yeah, and thinking about the structure of the book too, I was so interested in the fact that you chose to divide it up into lessons rather than just chapters. Um, yeah, why lessons and why that decision to, even the layout is super interesting. And, and you know, we can talk about the cover too. Like, I feel like the cover has become kind of iconic. You know, when I, it's it's a beloved book at Skylight and, you know, I it's on the bestseller shelf in that section in it. You know, it's a cover that that really, I feel like it's saying something. So I would love to talk about like yeah. the design and structure of it. I'd actually love to talk about the cover the most. The structure, the structure is its own thing. I, I knew that it was going to be sort of a fragmentary book that would hopefully, by the time you reach the end of it, cohere into sort of a greater sense of what the city is about and what my intentions were. In terms of the cover, um, and thank God for Skylight Books, because I swear to God, the booksellers at Skylight Books, y'all like have put this book into so many hands, and I'm so grateful. Um, yeah, I had nothing to do with the design, except for the fact that Rodrigo Corral, who's just one of the great book designers ever, um, who's the head of, I believe, the head of book design at First Strauss and Giroux and at MCD, which is the imprint at uh, FSG that I am lucky enough to publish with. Um, I had talked a little bit about how an inspiration for me was just sort of the signage that you see around Los Angeles. And it can be anything from a billboard on Sunset advertising the new movie coming out to driving through South Central and seeing people putting up posters for like a tag sale on Saturday. Or it's like Long Beach and it's some punk rock kids who have like Xeroxed, you know, a flyer for their show in somebody's backyard, whatever it is. I just love the paper trail of the humanity of Los Angeles. And Rodrigo came back and he said one of his inspirations was a, a, a print shop that was legendary in Los Angeles. It's since gone out of business, but it was called Colby Printers, which is hilarious because I went to a college named Colby College in Maine. But um, Colby Printers 
specialized or created this, um, you can still see them. If you're driving around Los Angeles and you see a fluorescent yellow, fluorescent green, fluorescent ombre poster advertising like a car wash on Saturday at the high school to benefit like the local Girl Scout troop, it's because that was their idea initially. People would go to Kobe printers and be like, I want that look, which was just big black letters on a fluorescent poster board or an ombre wash fluorescent. And Rodrigo, who draws inspiration from all kinds of places, was just like, yeah, I'm inspired by that. And so that was the plan is like, let's do a fluorescent cover. He settled on fluorescent green. I was like, that looks amazing. Um, and he got Mike Slack, one of the great street photographers who had shot just incredible stuff about Los Angeles for years. And they just optioned a whole bunch of his photographs and had a lot of fun, like picking out things that would be good for the cover in the back. Um, initially it was funny. Um, so this was published during lockdown, the original hardcover, but what he wanted to do and the, the printer in the end couldn't do it because it was too difficult because they had like staff shortages and stuff is that if you took off the hardcover wrapper, you know, literally the, um, uh, the book slip, sorry, I'm forgetting the name right now, but if you took it off, it would unfold and be a giant poster that you could like post on like a telephone pole. Um, so who knows, maybe some future edition if they ever re-release the hardback. Um, but one last story, it was really fun. The publisher, MCD, did a contest when the book came out um, where they made it, because I used to be a skateboarder as a kid and always, I've loved skateboard culture. I don't skate anymore because I broke too many bones doing it. But um, they made a skateboard deck with Mike's photographs and then all fluorescent green and then like a big everything now on it. And uh, the guy who won it texted me and he said he was a former skater and he sent me a picture of his kid, his like five-year-old son, who's as tall as the skateboard deck itself. He's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be his first skateboard. He can't wait. And I was like, that is very cool. That is sick. I think, I think Skylight um, customers would be into that. Maybe, maybe we can get some, <laughs> some of those. Bring it back. I love cars. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. I'm sure you've seen the LA standards book. Have you the classic? You know, orange. Yes, and I always that is also a bestseller of ours. And I always think about those, you know, books being in conversation with each other. But honestly, um, like I just I couldn't be luckier. I couldn't be luckier, frankly, with this book in general. Like I got lucky with the cover. Um, You know, truthfully, like me and my publisher, Sean McDonald. I don't think that we really had any expectations for this book. I thought it was like, for me, it was like a private passion project, quote unquote, for like two or three years that, you know, when it came out, I didn't think people would connect with it. I thought it would just get dumped on. Like, who's this guy who didn't grow up in Los Angeles to say anything about Los Angeles? Um, and so the response to this day, beginning DMs on Instagram from some 28-year-old Latina woman in Long Beach saying she just bought this copy of the book for her grandfather. I'm just like, dude, I don't know what's going on. That's amazing. I, you know, I'm so grateful. Um, yeah, the way, just when I hear from people about the way this book is connected from people who are from Los Angeles, who are new to Los Angeles, all the whole spectrum has been just a blessing, a true blessing. I think there's a reason for it. I think, you know, I felt like, yeah, I mentioned this earlier, but there was a sense of uh, clarity, a little more clarity about what's going on. And I think also given the fact that this came out during lockdown and a time where we were even, you know, LA is known for being a lonely city. People call it the lonely city. Um, 
So there's that Kerouac quote about it that you mentioned in the book. And I think having something to go to that helps you understand and also reaffirms that it's not just you in this lonely, chaotic form, I think is is really helpful. And yeah, it feels like it's a companion to, to something like um, Mike Davis's City of Courts. Like I think, yeah, it's definitely feels like a classic. Um, oh, man. So yeah, I think you should be proud. <laughs> Easy for you to say. And obviously I got very, very lucky. Mike was the sweetest guy in the world and I got to know him a little bit. And he obviously very generously and graciously you know gave me a blurb for the book and was supportive of me when i was working on it and as someone who read city of courts never mind twice and never mind his other stuff um it was just yeah that's the thing great thing about la is that la has incredible literature and it has incredible writers but because all of us out here who aren't like primarily screenwriters are pretty small communities someday like honestly like being a writer in New York is hard because people are competitive as hell and everyone's just talking about money and there's it's never good enough and you've never been published in the right places or won enough prizes, et cetera. In LA, it is so supportive and it's so fun when people are like, so you're a writer? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, well, what show do you write on? And you're like, mm, it's not really that. Uh, but I, of course I would have a lot more money, I guess, but you know, that would be sweet. But until then, it's a, it's a wonderful place to be a writer. Yeah, and I was going to ask, um, yeah, you talked to Mike Davis, you talked to Sam Sweet of All Night Menu, and yeah, who did you choose or want to talk to? What was that? I'm sure that was overwhelming, maybe, because like you said, there, there's been, there's so many writers here, and there's also been so much written about the city, and where did you, yeah. I think a lot of it was like, you know, here I was, that I'm, here's the, I'm a novelist from the East Coast, like, you know, I think it was earning people's trust. Like Linnell George was really, really important for me to talk to. I really, really, she's one of these people that has just been a significant LA writer for a long time. Um, DJ Waldy was another one, Sam Sweet. Um, you know, Octavia Butler, who's been dead for a long time, I just felt really deeply in communion with, in connection with. Um, so going through her archives at the Huntington, I had like a six month fellowship to just like go through her diaries and her mother's diaries and manuscripts. And, you know, the truth about LA is that LA's had deep literature for a long time and it's it's right there for the picking. It's just that it's not something that's often talked about. Um, and so I think it's getting better and better as being a place that's respected for its literary past. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's so many people here. I did, if anything, there are so many stories that didn't make the book that are sort of on the cutting room floor, so to speak, um, that I wish, yeah, I'm never going to do volume two because that book was um, a nightmare. So like, it was just, and so I was so involved with it for so long that it's a relief not to be constantly in my car driving everywhere. Like, but then again, I'm in my car all the time driving everywhere because I'm just a car person. So yeah, the Honda, the 2007 Honda Accord still exists. It is still thriving. Um, I'm about, I think I'm about to like buy an old truck instead, but we'll see. But in miles, which is, very easy to do in, in this city. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so no part two, but I was going to ask if, because I feel like since, you know, lockdown and the pandemic, I feel like there's been this sense of acceleration. And one question I had is if there were an addendum to the book or if there were anything that, you know, Rosecrans sitting here in 2023 in terms of thinking about what's going on in LA, is there anything that you would add? I think, um, 
I think I would have liked to reported some of the, more of the stories out a little further. There's still, you know, the I think there's so much going on with the corruption in the LA City Council that's really interesting in terms of human stories. Um, I think right now we're in a weird period as Karen Bass um, and her sort of come in really hot and heavy on trying to solve the homelessness problem in Los Angeles, which is an insane thing for a politician to try to do. Um, and because it's going to be a very, very slow role. Um, I'm interested in seeing how that plays out. I could see myself involved in there. There's also so much culture going on in Los Angeles that I find so many pockets of interest. Uh, I got really interested, but didn't make the book in backyard primarily Latino, but also also Black and white and Asian um, amateur wrestling groups in um, Long Beach. That's something that I wish I'd gotten deeper into. I'm really interested in uh, gay and straight dance groups that meet in, Los, in downtown Los Angeles, super on the fly, like organizing over Instagram at the last second and then throwing like 500 person raves. Um, I've gotten involved as a there's a great community organization in Hollywood called the Community Exchange around food recovery systems. That is to say, if you're a fancy restaurant or a food shop, like if you're a cookbook in Echo Park or whatever, and you eat at the end of the day and you have all this gorgeous produce that's going to wilt overnight, they donate it to this place called Community Exchange in Hollywood. And they're able to, in like 24 hours, get it packaged up on these big pallets and off to community kitchens within the five counties. So it's served like a day later. Um, so those kinds of little mini systems of support and mutual collaboration in Los Angeles, I find fascinating. Um, no, listen, I, I, I truly believe, and I say this in the book that if you're a writer, if you're just a curious person, Los Angeles is a freaking treasure mine. There's so many stories and so many interesting people and so many people that are low key and chill and willing to share. And um, yeah, it's a great place to have a coffee, man. I, I, I can't push harder for that. And my last question for you is if you had um, three books or maybe a handful of books that are the standard LA books, what would you recommend? Oh man, come on. You could have you could have fed this ahead of time. <laughs> I know, I know. Or just favorite books. Just some okay. books that come uh, to mind. Three books about Los Angeles that quintessential. Yeah. Quintessential. Um I will do Mike Davis, um RIP out of tribute. I won't say City of Ports. I think it could be a little bit difficult for some people. I would go more towards um Ecology of Fear. I think that's a little bit more accessible. Um, the title sounds scary, but it's a really fun and interesting uh, book. Um, let me try going. I mentioned Octavia Butler, so let me stay there for a second. I would say Parable of the Sower um, is just fun fantasy. Listen, it's been loved by millions. Uh, sort of a futuristic idea of in an era of lots of fires and climate crisis about this young woman who leads a band of survivors essentially out of the LA area. Um, and she treks off to the Pacific Northwest, which is nothing that I wanna do, but good for her. Um, and then let's see, I'm trying to think of something else that like comes quickly to mind. Um, hmm. And I'm trying to like think of something obscure or rare. Now I'm actually going to grab my book right here and see if I actually can think of something that's not the obvious one. Um, 
Oh, you know what? I'll do this. This is easy uh, because I think it's great. And it, I don't think a lot of people have read it. Uh, Miriam Gerba is this young woman, uh, former teacher. Maybe she's still a teacher of South LA. She had a wonderful memoir. It's painful, but it's called Mean. Um, and it's her life experience, young Mexican-American woman. Um, it's just... It, the prose is like scintillating and sharp and interesting. She's got a new book of essays out right now, but yeah, Miriam Gerba Mean. Um, I think it's just a great book and it's related to Los Angeles. So there we go. Amazing. Well, we'll have links to those books in the show notes. And of course, you'll be able to get them at Skylight and everything now as well, which like I mentioned before, is a beloved bestseller. Um, you can purchase it in the store or online. And once again, thanks so much, Rosecrans. It was so great to have you on the podcast. It was my pleasure and thanks. And so much love to Skylight, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Skylight Books podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to check out the book featured in this episode or others, please visit skylightbooks.com. If you're in the Los Angeles area, stop by for one of our live in-person author events. You can find a calendar on our website. If you like this podcast, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Our music is by Duck the Piano Wire. Till next time.